This episode of Zero Brightness is brought to you by you. You can head to patreon.com slash zero brightness to sign up to support the show directly and get bonus content multiple times per week. Thank you to everyone who supports the show, and I look forward to meeting more of you soon. Justin. Here's the thing. I, when I first got to know you, um, I basically immediately clocked that you're like the seventh gen guy. (laughs) And I know that you sort of are like, I don't see myself that way. That's not, maybe not who I am, but I'll tell you why I see you that way is because the minute the Alan Wake episode came out, you changed your name to (laughs) Alan Wake apologist and then Uh. kept adding things to it. And so you were just for the longest time, the Alan Wake apologist. That was me in the discord. And so you also kind of, maybe that was a bit or a sort of role you were playing. I didn't know you as well back then, but you would jump in and defend any game from the seventh gen. (laughs) Literally any game. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. So the, the, any game part was a bit, Mm-hmm. specifically because you guys just incessantly shit on all those games because you hadn't played them or like you guys admittedly just like bowed out in that era. I don't know. It was like a multi-layered problem of like, I knew, I knew you guys just didn't know, but y- y'all wouldn't stop. You wouldn't <laughs> quit. You kept making fun of it. And then at some point I was like, well, they just don't know. And now they're being jerks. <laughs> Yeah, well, for sure. And so that's why I'm sort of agreeing with that stance now. I'm changing my stance to say, yeah, I think you're probably right. And so I wanted to have you on to have this discussion. The title of this TED Talk is, Did the 7th Gen Actually Suck As Much As I've Been Saying It Did For The Last Two Years? Are you going to post that as like a acronym? Uh, That's a long title. Yes, and the listeners are hearing it said very fast right now. Yeah, that's the magic of editing. talk to you about that because I've also you know from checking out more games and playing more games I have like softened my stance a little bit and I think that if I was going to restate the hard stance that I took earlier in a more palatable way I would say that of all the different you know generations of gaming that I have taken part in I feel that the 7th gen surprisingly has kind of aged the worst. Um, I, I can give you that, yeah. I think there's a lot of validity to that statement. 
Yeah. Like, I feel like it was really caught in between, like, the 6th gen, so that's, you know, PS2, GameCube, Xbox, where we got a more fully realized version of the previous generation and, you know, modern games where generations don't really exist now. Everything's just kind of like all just a PC game (laughs) and you choose to play your PC game on a console or on a PC with a certain graphics card or something, you know? And like, so it's caught in that gray area between the two. And I guess for those students who don't know what the seventh gen is, I should clarify, that's the Xbox 360 PS3 era of time. Oh, and the Wii. Don't. Gotta include the Wii. (laughs) Well, and the Wii is something we'll have to talk about, but it's almost like a separate conversation because I had a Wii at that time. Mm -hmm. And I love the Wii. And the things that I liked about that system and the games that seemed to be more prevalent on that system kind of explains why I wasn't really vibing with like the 360 or the PS3. But yeah, it just really feels like those games are unfinished. That was like... When in the last episode, when Cole was watching like a trailer for Mirror's Edge, he was like, this game looks unfinished. And then when we like tried to play another game more recently, it was like, oh, this is like weird. Like, it's just this very embryonic version of the games that we play now, you know? I think the entire generation was embryonic. Mm -hmm. It's it's a mess. So to the Wii thing, I think the Wii thing is super weird because the Wii U came out in a very, like, half-era way. Yeah. And really just, like, messed their whole timeline up. Yeah. So I don't even know where you'd put the Wii U. Because I would not... I, I don't think you can put the Wii U with the... the eight, I, God, saying the 8th gen, uh-huh. like, makes my head hurt. But here yeah. I am. Well, that's the thing is that the Wii U has a very 7th gen vibe to it to me like the things about the seventh gen that i like don't really like are kind of the reasons why i never even bothered getting a wii u because it was just like what is this (laughs) you know or like why is this a separate console or like what is going on here that's like the vibe of the wii u but i kind of just generally pretend like the wii u didn't happen because like we've moved on (laughs) Should the format of this be you give a hot take and I try to defend against it? <laughs> I'm kind of curious to know uh, what what those things are that you thought were the worst aspects of that whole generation. So with the seventh gen, I'll tell you a little bit about my experience with it. I kind of already talked about this, so I'll give the the speed run version of this. You know, basically, I was working at a video game store uh, around the time that these consoles were launching. And so I got to try a lot of these games or a lot of these big games in the seventh gen because my brother-in-law bought an Xbox 360 and I lived with them on and off at that time. Even when I didn't, I could always go back to their house and like play a game. So, you know, and that was how I played Deadly Premonition. That's like the one game on the 360 that I really, really fell in love with was Deadly Premonition. And it was like, I can't remember if I live with my sister or not. I may have been like biking there every day to like play this game with her um but yeah so like i played you know whatever the elder skulls game is that came out and i played um bioshock and i played gears of war and i played some other you know smaller games i think the thing about those games that 
I just couldn't get into was the fact that it was like trying to be this big budget cinematic style experience, but everything on screen to me just like lacked character or flair or like anything kind of like everything was becoming so homogenous because like the budgets for these games were expanding and I feel like these companies were being very conscious of like we need to make this appeal to the widest amount of people possible and like I kind of even before I did any research and tried to figure out if that was true I just like got that feeling from playing these games and it's something that's really hard to shake you know and so it's even like when I played Alan Wake, you know, the, the fateful occurrence that may have precipitated this very episode today. I'd argue it's what made uh, the community what it is today. So thank you, Alan Wake. Yeah, thank you, Alan Wake, I guess. Uh, <laughs> no, thank you, Alan Wake. It is true. Us arguing about Alan Wake was what really got the Discord going. And that's like the heart of the community. So thank you, Alan Wake. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> There were people who thought your name was Alan Wake, or at least Alan. <laughs> a lot of people would call you Alan. Yeah. Um, face I got reveal. a new name now. New sheriff in town, baby. <laughs> Don't even say it. Um, but yeah, like when I played that game, I was like, oh, you know, it feels like there is a way this game could have been more interesting if it was more like Deadly Premonition or if it was more just like this kind of chill, vibey exploration thing. And then if you read about the development, that was the original idea. And then it just kind of got compacted down into this really like repetitive shooter. And I kind of feel like whenever I play like an Xbox game or a PS3 game or whatever, it has that same feel. Maybe you have like, I don't know. What do you love about these games? Like, why do you love the seventh gen so much? Um, it's, I don't know that it's that I love it so much. It's that, over the years pretty much everyone at some point has shit on it in a way that they wouldn't shit on the other console generations and I it feels I like I feel you feel bad for it I guess okay like it's it's literally just like the nerd getting like his like lunch dumped on him in the lunchroom or something the part you brought up about or you brought up a few times about like the budget and the scope and all that stuff that wasn't created in that generation that was a response to things that started happening in the sixth generation sure because games started getting more popular and suddenly certain games were starting to outclass more popular forms of media and sales right which just led to you know a lot more oversight from CEOs and people who don't know anything about the craft of it and just want to make money off of it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I got to bring up Halo. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. Because <laughs> sure. I mean, that's probably what did it is Halo 2 made $125 million its first day. Wow. That's and that was its first. That was date. That was launch day. Um, I'm not going to keep going down the line and see what it did over time, but you know, like that's a big number. Yeah. And like the history of video games for one title to do that is pretty big. So probably from then on out, things just started snowballing. And I mean, 
the internet obviously existed during the sixth generation. Right. But, I, you know, the, the internet became more of what we know it to be now around the time of the seventh generation, mm-hmm. for better or worse. Um, yeah, I think, too, well, there's two interesting things that you bring up there that I think really contribute to, like, the character of the seventh gen, which also kind of is going to dictate whether or not you think it's, like, an interesting time in games, you know? Because one is the rise of online gaming on mm-hmm. consoles, mm-hmm. right? Because, well, obviously, we're talking about consoles. Like, <laughs> we're pretty much just talking about, like, the consoles yeah. that were prevalent at the time, not really talking about, like, PC games or anything. But um, before that time, you know, Xbox Live existed, the PlayStation Network existed, but to use the term again, it was very embryonic. Like, required a lot of extra hardware, it was expensive, there wasn't a ton of support from it, either from games or from, like, you know, the companies that ran them. So when Xbox 360 came out and it had, like, this new Xbox Live thing, it was a big deal. And so suddenly there was, like, an online service with a solid interface that let you play pretty much whatever console games would support it with your friends. And that was, like, a huge game changer. The other thing, that rise of blockbuster gaming basically precipitated an effect where the people who could meet the demand for that aesthetically were mostly like Western devs. And so it seemed like a lot of the big runaway hits of this era were made by Western devs. And so you get things that skew more towards like first person shooters and online games or online first person shooters or even action games that seem to be generally inspired by first-person shooters. So I think that if you would come out of the 6th gen really psyched on all the like weird Japanese shit, which was pretty much all of the highlights for the GameCube and PS2, like obviously there are good Western-developed games on those systems, but it seems like pretty much all the big hits and all the highlights are just like Japanese-developed, if not just like very weird Japanese shit. Um, it was kind of a hard left turn. Like it was something you really had to like reacclimate your brain to. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and that's when you had a lot of Eastern devs trying to trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I don't know if that's because they're not like their their sales actually were dropping, or if that's because they thought they wouldn't survive you know, doing what they had been doing or what they wanted to do. So they needed to pivot. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of, uh, a lot of neat stuff came out of like Japan, especially in that time, like the things they chose to do with uh, some of those influences, I think are really interesting. Yeah. Well, even just recently, I mean, we play Resident Evil six, which is a way better and a way more interesting game than people give it credit for. Well, Part of it is. Part of it is, yeah. But, I mean, considering the people say it's the worst in the series, point blank, like, Mm. that's not, I don't think that's correct. Y'all played Outbreak? Did y'all play Outbreak? (laughs) No. Clearly, no. Um, But yeah, like, I think that there, there is cool stuff that came out around that time, but yeah, there was definitely, like, a perceptual and a sales thing that happened with Japanese devs where... I think they sort of felt left behind because the new front runner of that console generation 
was you know made by an american company they had all these runaway hits that were made by american devs and so in order to try and match that a lot of them made really weird choices and like we talked about that a little bit in that resident evil 6 episode but yeah you had capcom and konami both just acting really really fucking weird like (laughs) konami giving the silent hill series to a bunch of like super inexperienced western devs or you had capcom doing stuff like the devil may cry reboot where they like you know took one of their flagship series away from the devs and gave it to a western dev and you know also at this time you had capcom doing like weird like really heinous dlc stuff like mm-hmm. it just seems that all those trends were just not compatible with the way that those companies were doing business you know i do want to point out that um konami also gave castlevania away mm-hmm. um whether that was successful or not is i guess <laughs> up for debate i would debate that it was um and capcom did make a a mainline devil may cry game for that for that generation yeah for sure before they before they made the the weird before they gave the reboot to ninja theory i don't remember what that team made prior to that game but yeah for sure everyone remembers how contentious that whole thing was yeah i think it seems like it has kind of the same vibe as like re6 where a lot of people hate it and then some people are like well you know actually this is a pretty fun video game but you know that's just how i do have it i've never played it but i do have it (laughs) yeah for sure i think i've played like 10 minutes of it uh (laughs) but yeah like i think that because of all these factors like you were left with a console that was really really geared towards like certain feels and certain genres and I think like for me personally that was just not what I wanted you know and I think the big thing here that I'm kind of curious to hear your take on is the sort of claim which once again has been repeated many times on this show but (laughs) that basically there weren't really horror games for a lot of this generation you know like do you feel that there were strong horror games in the seventh gen Mm. or like that that's that's a misinterpretation or is that accurate i mean that's that's just like a contentious topic because it's come up here and there and like the discord and stuff everyone has a different opinion on a lot of those games and you know you went from a generation where the standout horror titles were you know fixed camera tank control games to games that tried to be horror and like another thing right um i mean you had condemned i thought condemned was a pretty good game uh we've everyone's talked about fear a little bit um fear is awful yeah like i'm not gonna tell you that it's like held up well or it was a great horror game but i think at the time like fear was just sort of a technical marvel and it was at least somewhat notable because it had like a dramatically different atmosphere compared to most shooters because most shooters were just world war ii games or like really cartoony sci-fi games so you had one that was rooted in some horror tropes and yeah i mean you know if you like shooters and you like horror stuff playing a shooter where you could 
be super powered and also like Samara from the ring would just like pop up randomly. Yeah. It was cool, I guess. Um, it gets a little less cool later because spoiler alert, um, she fucks you. Oh, what? That's in that's in a, the second game. But, no, you. Yeah. You yeah, can't. Sorry, everybody. You can't fuck the Samara. She's an adult at that point. Um, I mean, yeah, but still. She fucks you. Let me put it this She fucks you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's. You're, you're like locked in a thing and she, she gets you. Okay. Well, that, that's bad in a different way. You're not. It is bad it. in a different way. It's. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying that's what happens. <laughs> um, Damn. I didn't, I didn't know I was going to get that dropped on me. Fuck. Yeah. Sorry. I ruined your whole night. Pretty much. I mean, uh-huh. I was just, I was just going to say that I played that game a little bit when it came out. And I was like, this seems kind of neat. Maybe I'll I'll try it again someday. And then I never did. And then when I got the PS Now service, the like PlayStation streaming service on my PS4. Wow, I said that like a fucking ad read. This is not sponsored. <laughs> this is not a sponsored post. Okay, I was not. You're a TikTok influencer now, yeah. <laughs> selling selling PS Now ads. And Do stuff. the dance point where you dance and point in the thing that's like <laughs> sign up for PS, PS Now. Now, now. no, I mean uh, P- PS Now is okay. I wouldn't. I Nineteen dollar PS Now card. <laughs> Who wants it? Trolls get blocked. <laughs> um. So the point I was saying, oh yeah, so I got that service and right when I got it, the the big fun for me was just having a night where I tried like 15 games, you know, or not that many. I would play like 15, 20 minutes of like seven games or something. It was like, oh, this is really fun, you know, Um, you know, and uh, I saw Fear was on there and I was psyched because Fear is one of those weird games where you can still get it on PC, but buying it is really confusing it also doesn't run you have to like do a bunch of fucky workarounds yeah. to get it to to do right so i did read that but even worse is that like i think it's either i think it's on steam i can't remember but it's like on steam it's part of this weird bundle that's like 60 dollars, mm-hmm. and you can't just buy like the first one yeah. yeah um but so i saw it was on i saw it was on there and i was like great download it started playing it and i was like man this fucking sucks like it's just like a super boring generic first person shooter where like weird psychedelic horror stuff happens, but the psychedelic horror stuff doesn't look cool and it makes the game really hard to play. Like whenever that happens, you move really slow and all these really annoying like early Photoshop style effects start happening on screen. And it yeah. was just like, damn dog, this sucks. I played more than 50 minutes of that game. I played like a solid hour of it and I was like, I hate this. That game's just more notable for like its technical prowess and the time that it came out, which I feel like is something you can say about the whole generation is that it was, it was a big transitional era for, Mm -hmm. for hardware and, and technology and whatnot. And so you had all these games doing really big things, but in kind of a goofy like presentation sometimes. Yeah. Because it was, it was, you know, your your appetite would exceed your your stomach so to speak and people were chasing all these really huge ideas with limited resources and it wasn't it wasn't the same way it was in generations prior where some where, where devs would find creative workarounds to issue. like it wasn't it wasn't like adding fog to silent hill to deal with the draw distance like it's literally just you made an open world too big, so you had to de-res a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, totally. And there were some big prevalent trends at that time that I was not into because I thought that they made pretty much all the games that they were a part of worse. And so like the big janky open world thing was like so prevalent. And that's a type of game that I find extremely hard to return to now because we have better open world games where it's either more entertaining to traverse the open world or like that traversal itself is more rewarding in one way or another, you know, and that time spent exploring is a little bit more streamlined. Like when you go back to those games now, like the old ones, it's super time intensive. It's super boring. And like, unless you already really like the game, it's super, super hard to get into. And that's the other thing too, is I guess I'm speaking as someone who wasn't there at the time for the most part. So I don't already like any of these games. Yeah. I mean, uh, Something that I think people forget is that everyone was clamoring for that stuff. Like everyone wanted that. They wanted those open worlds and they wanted all this crazy shit to happen in video games. Yeah. And, you know, like the question every dev or every publisher is going to ask is like, can we do this yet? Can we can we do the thing that we wanted to do or people have wanted us to do? Mm -hmm. And like technically they were they they got there. But you just you had to be you had to be one of the brighter minds and that and that art to to really pull that stuff out like i mean in my mind metal gear solid 4 is still photorealistic sure like when i got that game and booted it up i was fucking flabbergasted at yeah. how insane that that game looked and i know it I know it doesn't look that good because I'm playing Metal Gear Rising now and it does it definitely doesn't look it that doesn't good. Look but that um good. But like but you know, if anyone was gonna do it, it was gonna be like Hideo Kojima and his team. Um but you had all these other people who didn't know how to do it. So you had these these super chank games, but you know, everyone wanted it and it's not like everyone was gonna put off doing it until they could do it perfectly. It's all iterative and unfortunately just everything aligned in a way that made parts of this generation just very black sheepish I guess you could say yeah for sure and that's like when you come back to it I find that a lot of these games just really feel that way like they feel transitory where it's like oh you were going for this thing but the tech wasn't there yet or like you had this idea in mind, but the design isn't up to par, you know. There's just so many things like that, and it just makes these games, like, really underwhelming, you know? And so, once again, it's like, sure. going back and playing Fear is like, I know people love that game. I don't want people to just have their blood boiling because I just talked all that shit about Fear. It's just like, to me now, playing it, it's like, wow, this is just really underwhelming. But you can see how, at the time, it was, like, super impressive. And that's like totally what happened to me recently with like every time I've, I've tried to play one of these games, it's like being a little more reasonable. It's like, oh, I get why this was impressive, but also I don't want to keep playing it, <laughs> you know? There's a couple things for me in playing games from this era. The first is that there there is like a nostalgia thing in it for me. Mm. There's like just a feel to those games that like 
I kind of look past some of the the flaws in them because I'm go- I'm going back to that that period of my life. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I didn't get I didn't get super into video games until probably a year or two before, um, before the, like these consoles started launching. Like I want to say that I was maybe like really into video games for a solid year when they started teasing, um, like the 360 and the PS3 and stuff. Sure. Um. So it's it's got a little bit of that for me in it, but. There's an interesting thing that happens when I go back to those games is that I don't see them as not quite being where they meant to be. I see them as like improved versions of sixth gen games. Mm. Like when I see, when you go back to like those early games that tried to use like really big environments and you look at them now and you're like, wow, there, there's not much here. In my brain, it just look it's like they upscaled like a sixth gen game it's a little weird but like when i think of like lost planet for instance i think of like weird shooter adjacent like ps2 xbox games and this one's just one of those but with like better 3d models and better textures and stuff because a lot of the design ideology is the same across those it's actually not that much different but you go back to it and the first thing you see is just a big empty space that's basically just a sandbox for a, a giant ant spider thing for you to blow up in your robot. And it seems kind of bland and and not quite where it needed to be. Because, you know, I think the second one was when they started, like, really filling those spaces out and, and giving you stuff to do. Yeah, see, it's interesting that you say that. Because to me, I like the 6-gen stuff better because it was generally more streamlined. And, like, mm-hmm. I think Metal Gear Solid's a great example because, like... Metal Gear Solid 3, which I love, which is mm-hmm. a great game. Great game. Um, is such a tight and streamlined game. Uh, it's really one of the only games in that series that has that feeling. Um, and I think it's because it's just so much of it is gameplay. Like even there are really cinematic moments within the game that you play through instead of just watching like a cutscene. And the game just has a great flow start to finish. Like, there's really only a couple games that I've sort of speed run or like sort of done a speed run of. One of them is Metroid Fusion on the Game Boy Advance. Um, and it's only because I played that game over and over so much that at some point I was like, I think I can beat this in 30 minutes. Um, and then I got it down actually somewhere beneath that. But the other one is uh, Metal Gear Solid 3 because it just has such a great flow start to finish and if you learn some of the tricks and exploits it's like you can just sit down and play through that whole game in like three hours or something you know and so when I went to play Metal Gear Solid 4 it was like what in God's name is all of this you know what I mean and that was kind of how I felt about a lot of 7th gen games where it's like there's all these cutscenes added in there's all these mechanics added in there's just so much stuff that is literally just like stuffing it's filling that when I it just was really disappointing because at the end of the 6th gen I feel like a lot of those games were really streamlined and the design and everything was just very like tight and economic well it's funny you don't even bring up the 6 hours of cutscenes in Metal Gear Solid 3 Um, (laughs) are there really? yeah, yeah man I don't think so because it's alternate it's like alternate 
sixties war history. Maybe I just so skipped it. All. There's all this. <laughs> there's all this post Korean War, proto Vietnam, like crazy shit happening in that game. Hmm. Maybe you skipped all those cut. Maybe you. Uh, maybe you skipped to the end. I, I could. I could have done that. Skip to the end. No, there's crazy. <laughs> it's just well, every Metal Gear game has this. But like four is out of control. Four has that literal hour-long cutscenes. Yeah. It's, well, that, that four is just like a bigger game overall, and. I'll I'll at least admit to maybe having like a more positive view of that game because I played so many shooters and I <laughs> I played a lot of hours of like Call of Duty and Halo multiplayer with my friends and all that stuff. So like coming to a game like that that took all the prior Metal Gear Solid ideas and just kind of expand because it was still a pretty linear focused game, but they kind of widened the hallway a little bit to give you mm-hmm. some like paths to go down and like weird stuff to do but you know they, they took out like the 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 first aid system and replaced it with an insane gun system because yeah. A that's what the kids wanted and B I, I guess everyone at Kojima Productions just loves talking about war and guns Gun, they just, love guns the fetishization yeah of so yeah it's just what happens when you give that man even more even more tools to play with i mean i love that game but that's probably a discussion (laughs) that doesn't even need to happen yeah i man i hate that game (laughs) for so many reasons but i feel like this is an interesting divide between us though because like i never had that phase of being into first person shooters like I'm just not into them and I never was. I would say I've always played like a big marquee one, you know? So like I am going to play Doom 2016 because it's just like an important game that people keep telling people who I trust keep telling me is a good game or like that's why I played Half-Life and Half-Life 2 back in the day, like multiple times because well, those are really good games and Everyone says it's a good game or like, you know, Goldeneye or something like that. But beyond that, I'm not really interested in like a first person shooter. And so I think that like the way that those mechanics and ideas like loom so large over this whole generation, it just makes it all aesthetically unappealing to me. Like, I just don't want to pick up and play it, you know? Yeah, I mean, there is something to be said for... A literal lack of color, and then also more of a like an abstract, you know, <laughs> what is color sort yeah. of thing. Like, because there were just a ton of like character platformer games in the in the sixth generation. Mm-hmm. Like in that generation alone, and maybe you know, maybe a little bit in the fifth. Like, I can think of a bunch of like goofy like PS one platformer games. But like between like maybe the later half of that one and all through the the sixth gen. Like, it wasn't just Mario anymore. Yeah. You had all of these weird characters and franchises that were all pop. They were popular. Like, they all caught on. And you went from that to a generation pretty much totally devoid of it. Yeah. I I think they made a couple more Ratchet and Clank games. They mm-hmm. tried to make another Banjo and Kazooie game. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, most, most, mostly that stuff like fell out of favor. People, 
And I guess it's just because gaming became so popular or like it really exploded in popularity with a certain generation of consumers. Yeah. And then it started aging alongside those consumers instead of just being an iterative like technology. Yeah, no, totally. I do think that it moved from being this kind of still somewhat niche thing, despite how popular it was and how much money it made to being like truly mainstream with the seventh gen. And like, I literally saw it happen. Like I worked at a video game store and it was like, over these few months, it went from like the like the core of the clientele being these dirty men with ponytails buying overpriced special editions of RPGs to suddenly these guys who looked like they would be paintballing, but instead they were playing, you know, Gears of War with their friends on Xbox Live. And yeah, that's I mean, a, my that's experience was being in high school and hearing people talk about video games and i'd be like oh you play halo yeah and i was like oh everybody does it's Mm. just we're here and i you know but it's probably why i'm on the path i'm on now is like when i saw that happening my response wasn't you took my thing away from me Uh (laughs) you're you're stealing my culture i was just like oh cool more people like a thing that i like i still didn't talk to him because i was a freak but yeah. You know, I wasn't like a vindictive, crazy person because I thought they were going to come steal my like big titty waifus because they wanted to play Call of Duty or whatever. Oh, yeah, for sure. I And to be clear, I have no moral judgment of that shift. I didn't want to talk to either the ponytail men or the paintball oh, yeah. men. I didn't. No, no. I'm just... I still don't really want to talk to anyone. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> Still true. Still true. Uh, but. Yeah, it was it was an interesting shift. And so, yes, you got games that were aimed at an older audience and also aimed at a wider audience. And yeah, so that's why you see that like shift in aesthetics. Uh, there's, there's something I want to talk about this may be a longer conversation. But before I start that, <laughs> I do want to pause here to just acknowledge that Banjo-Kazooie game. <laughs> what the that's fuck? That's a boss, baby. Uh, if you guys are familiar, uh, Rare made a Banjo-Kazooie game where it's like a kart racer adventure game. It was like a Lego game. It was mm-hmm. like proto-crafting. Yeah. But there was, a, there was a decent focus on making vehicles, I think, yeah. I remember I went to my friend's house who had a 360 and he was just playing that, like, we we're going to go do something. And I was like, what in the hell is this? He's like, oh, it's Banjo-Kazooie. I was like, no, it's not. You're driving a 12-foot tall car. That's not, and he was like try it and he handed me it and it's like the controls were so fucked up but then you could like get out of the car and just run around like not to do anything but just to like go from race to race or whatever and I was like okay this is even more disappointing because this feels like a Banjo-Kazooie game and then I have to get in the clown car <laughs> um, yeah that's yeah. that's an interesting one just trying to unpack it from a like did they did they make all these changes because suddenly they had like more tools did they make them because they thought it was honestly the best way to like prevent stagnation in their franchise you know whatever who knows but but i i do feel like though that you know okay so one thing i like to talk about a lot because i feel like even people who are like our age like in your early 30s or whatever who can remember the time they talk about i feel like they've already forgotten that there were times or there was a time when certain things that we take for granted now 
were not considered common knowledge. So like one thing I always think about is that like every record did not come out on vinyl between like 1998 (laughs) and 2008. Uh There's Mm -hmm. like a solid decade where a lot of big release records were not coming out of vinyl. And so like one, for example, that I always think of is like, that people would always come in to the record store I briefly worked at and ask for, um, uh, songs for the deaf by Queens of the stone age. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that got a vinyl pressing like two years ago, but initially the vinyl press was actually only a promo run. So there's like 800 or something, which for such a huge record is like nothing, you know, uh, ditto with the drift by Scott Walker which is one that I was just personally looking for. And I found out that there was only 300 copies in existence. So whenever one would pop up, it was like $800. Um, but yeah, so it's like there was a time when a lot of these records were not coming out of vinyl and like, it was just not a thing to do. I kind of feel that way about game design in this era where like, it was not known that you could just do the thing that you did before with better graphics. Like, there really was this feeling that everything has changed and you have to like meet the market. So like you got the Banjo-Kazooie game that was a kart racer <laughs> or you got some open world games that were bad because the open world stuff was really shoehorned in. Um, but it was just because like, that's what we do now, you know? And I feel like even just a few years later, there'd be a little bit more sophisticated view of the audience that was just based on experience that they didn't have at the time where it's like, Oh, you know, Banjo-Kazooie is a great example because now you have, like, ukulele. It's like, oh, if we just do a throwback game, a pretty big chunk of the market is going to like it. Maybe that's a bad example because a lot of people hate that game, but some people really like that game, you know? I'm not really sure. I, yeah, like, I know... I feel like it's a, it's a pretty even split on Nuts and Bolts, and I feel like some people have said that ukulele wasn't quite that bad. No, it some people like, really like Not that great. I, but, you know, I don't know. I think i might have it i don't know it's one of those games where it's like if you know what you're getting yourself into you can't be disappointed it's like if you play one of those super niche like new jrpgs it's like yeah (laughs) it's literally just a jrpg and if you go in knowing that you're gonna love it and if you're going in expecting to be some like thing that changes your life or whatever it's like what it's just a jrpg it's like yes (laughs) i mean i should probably go ahead and say for the record that I don't get what it, I don't get having those expectations. I just see a game that I think looks interesting and then I buy it and I play it. Yeah. And if I if I'm at all worried about wasting my time or my money, I research it as much as I can. And if I have a single doubt, I just don't get it. Yeah. And then if I play it and I'm like this wasn't the best game I've ever played. It's you know, it's fine. I as long as I had fun playing it or I didn't waste my time. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. And I, by wasting time, I mean, like, if I'm not having fun playing it, I just stop. I just quit it. Yeah. And I don't focus on it anymore, and I don't think about it. And I don't blame the game or anything else. I just leave it alone. Well, I, I totally agree. And I actually, to bring this back to the 7th Gen, I think that's one of the problems I have with 7th Gen games, is that, like, they leaned so hard into the idea of, like, standardizing things. So, like... Obviously, we got standard twin stick controls, which is really nice. That was a good thing. But then Mm -hmm. suddenly every game had the same control feel and style that was very influenced by first person shooters. And that's a thing that's very off putting. Um, There's also it's like it feels like everything used impact font, which I hate. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. 
God, what? Oh, yeah. We watched a really shitty movie last night where all the subtitles were in impact font. Oh. Uh, oh, yeah. Mm. Um, Gross. Yeah. Bad. Uh, I'm not even going to say what it is because I don't want to give it the plug, but you know what it is. Um, I got, got the plug. plug. <laughs> I don't got the plug. God damn it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's one of those things where it's like, it, it kind of like makes things like off putting to me when it's like, oh, it's just like this again or like everything kind of feels the same you know but yeah. yeah that was definitely a big a big part of it was was trend chasing or it was mm. just exploding so fast and everyone was trying to to maximize their profits and all that yeah hokey bullshit so everything just became became really um referential i guess yeah maybe that's why there's so many honkies out there that are obsessed with bland media properties is because they just love being force-fed the same thing oh yeah well tell okay you know what no this is a great topic okay i am going to reveal what the movie i watched last night was okay dramatic synth stab um here editor please uh (laughs) we watched so, you know, as listeners of the show know, Cole and I have a tradition of watching terrible putrid movies together and laughing at them. So last night we did a call with our two households. We called each other on the telephone mm. and stayed on the phone while we watched a terrible putrid movie. The movie is Suicide Squad. Hey. Suicide Squad is a terrible putrid movie. It is also hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, it is hilarious because it feels like it was written by someone who has never spoken aloud in their life um or heard a joke let alone told one because every time someone says a joke it doesn't feel like a joke it feels like the character winding up and just fully like front hand slapping you um it is truly truly awful but the thing about that movie is that the plot makes no sense because it all hinges on this super complicated mechanic where like this character is like a witch and she's like a witch trapped in a human's body and they have two different hearts and if you tear out the witch's heart the human is okay but then if a witch gets her heart back she's like a god and then she tries to like destroy the earth and it makes like no fucking sense and the whole time i was like is this from another movie and everyone was like no and i was like is this is this movie a sequel to something where this is all set up and they were like no and i was like okay so this is literally just something that someone who's read the comic book will see as a reference and be excited because they get it when nobody else in the theater does. And like, yeah, that is obviously an easy way to score points with your audience. Cause it's also like what mm-hmm. family guy does. It's just like, remember this, remember this, remember this, but it's also like, how in God's name could you actually put your name on that and be like, yes, this is my thing I made. It is good. I mean, you fucked up because you should have just watched Birds of Prey, which is an actual, like, fun, entertaining movie that everyone hates, probably just because it's all women, but... Oh, dude, no, Suicide Squad rocked. (laughs) That was an incredible, uh, incredible entertainment piece, because, holy shit, dude, it's so fucking bad. It is extremely wackadoo. I think I mostly just watched it because it had the dude from Altered Carbon in it. (laughs) Oh, I've, I've never seen that. Okay, Altered Carbon Rock season one is great. Y'all should watch it. Um, I actually the guy, the guy who plays the like spec ops, not super villain guy, that oh. has to like escort them. Yeah, he rocks. He's um he's in the killing. 
Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what, when he walked on screen, we were like, oh, yeah, his name's like Captain Flag or something. Yeah, he's the lead in Altered Carbon, which is... Ooh. Y'all, y'all might want to watch that. I feel like you, you guys would enjoy that. I actually do want to watch that, but yeah, I, I love The Killing. The Killing is an incredible I still show. need to watch The Killing. Is that Dude, it's amazing. Uh, it was on Netflix, because Netflix, like... No, someone got it, because I went to look it up, and it was, like, advertised as a Netflix show, but it's owned by someone else now Weird. or something. Yeah, I don't know. I should check, though, because I have Hulu now, and I want to watch it. It had three seasons. It got canceled on a cliffhanger. And then Netflix picked it up and made a fourth. That was like one mm-hmm. of the early like Netflix or like streaming redemption stories. Yeah. Was like they saved a kid, which is great because the last season is really good. And also it doesn't end on a fucking cliffhanger. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I think the reference thing, it does get a lot of play, but not with me. I'm just like, I don't get this. This is funny because like... Wow, Margot Robbie really talks like that the whole time. It's a little more palatable in Birds of Prey. That's at least like an intentionally fun, like yeah, also comedy <laughs> action movie. So Jared Leto is the worst fucking person. Yeah, like it's we don't need to dwell on it. It's bad. Everyone knew it was it's bad. So he'll be funny though. He'll be forgotten or remembered for how bad it is, and those are the only two possibilities. He's also in the movie for like eight minutes total. Mm-hmm. It's like two. It's two hour movie. He's not in it very much. Uh, I mean, we just need to cancel him anyways. He's a piece of shit. But. Yeah, I hate that guy. Fuck that guy. Um. Well, what okay. Are we talking about. Uh, so here's okay. <laughs> Back on topic. <laughs> the other thing that I want to talk about that you kind of hinted at. Um. And I think it's actually a good topic. Uh, and it also uh, pauses me shitting on the seventh gen for however long this conversation goes, which is nice because I don't want to do that. <laughs> I've said before in previous episodes, I want to, I want to have even keeled conversations about these things. I don't just want to go off and be like, I'm, I'm mad, you know? Um, but as much as I don't like a lot of the like prevailing design trends and ideas of the seventh gen, I kind of see why they happened. Um, and I think it's that in the sixth gen, I do feel like a lot of those prevailing design trends got really, really played out and totally reached their logical conclusion. So like, for example, you're talking about like the kind of cute cartoony platformer games, like, I feel that in the sixth gen, they basically took that as far as you could go. And I feel like it peaked with the Jack and Daxter game. That's like an open world GTA game where you can like shoot people and steal their cars. Mm -hmm. Have you ever played that game? No, it's like the gritty reboot. It might just be called Jax. I can't remember. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think it was called Jack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it was like a prequel before he met Daxter. Oh, is that what that is? I think, yeah. I don't know. I just remember one of my friends who was very well-versed in, in dark-sided stuff. He was a cool, <laughs> he was a cool guy, uh, and he, he would always give me stuff like... like He gave me a copy of Steal This Album by System of a Down. He was like, have you heard this? I was like, no. He's like, you should. It's really good. Um, he's, he also used to know how to play um, a bunch of Chrono Trigger music on the piano. He was like a really, nice. really good pianist. Um, uh, yeah, Eric. Eric was a Eric was a cool person, 
And uh, I remember one day he was like, man, have you played this fucking Jack and Daxter game where it's like GTA? And I was like, no, man, but that sounds fucking stupid. And he was like, no, it's really good. And he gave me, he was like, you can borrow my copy. And I, I went and played it and I started playing. I was like, man, this is so fucking dumb. And then suddenly 40 hours later, whatever, I had played the whole game and I was like, huh, this is pretty good. Um, but, you know, it's like all those six gen platformer games after the beginning of the like console era are really weird and they kind of go to this place where it's like is this even tenable anymore do people even want this and so you can kind of see why there's like this hard shift away from that in the next gen you know or why the people who made banjo kazooie felt that they had to do whatever the fuck that game was like it makes sense and i also feel like that's what happened with horror games in a huge 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 way you know I talked about this in a Patreon episode, so I guess not every listener of this show will have heard that, but there basically is this prevailing idea that I did push back against, and I, I still want to push back against, that Resident Evil 4 like killed horror games in the 7th gen, uh, and that basically Resident Evil, it's Resident Evil 4's fault that we didn't get horror games in the 7th gen, but... I feel like not only is that just like unfair to Resident Evil 4, which is a really good game, but I also feel like it's just not true because survival horror basically was dead by the time Resident Evil 4 came out. You know, like in 2005, survival horror had basically gone as far as it could go with like the traditional fixed camera angle, tank controls, you know, item-based puzzles, all the stuff that we ascribe as like you know important piece of that genre you know you'd gone as far as you could go and you even got some weird experimental games like siren and haunting grounds clock tower 3 silent hill 4 none of those are like the best in their like respective series you know Uh, except for clock tower 3 but that's only because clock tower 1 and 2 are absolute fucking garbage but like it's like you're getting these weird games that didn't leave any open roads for developers to explore. You know, like there wasn't some way to branch off of that. Horror games kind of had to be like reinvented, which is largely what happened in like 2010 with Amnesia, which I talked about in that episode. But so it's kind of like, well, yeah, it makes sense that for the first X years of the seventh gen, there just weren't any traditional survival horror games like they were kind of over from a design standpoint and nobody was buying them from a sales standpoint you know thank you for listening to zero brightness if you'd like to support us directly you can go to patreon.com zero brightness you can also find and interact with us on facebook instagram and discord all the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com we'll see you out there yeah, a thing that's always been a problem is everyone wants to blame something yeah. for what they perceive as like a slight against them or a thing they like. But every, pretty much every console gen had a like a a trope or like a framework or a genre that kind of prevailed in that generation. And so for the sixth gen, one of those was like character platform games. Mm-hmm. And there's the there are a billion of them. You can name the big ones, but there's probably sixty that you can't name that were just one-off titles that didn't really go anywhere. I mean, 
who played that weird one about the little robot on the Xbox? Nobody. Oh, I yeah. That game. Or how about uh, Blinks the Time Sweeper? <laughs> yeah, so you, there's always a bunch of those, <laughs> and that, like, you know, that would affect the the horror community. And yeah, I mean, it's not that that generation didn't have horror games, it's that for a year or two years, the most popular games weren't those. And, and in years prior, some of the most popular games on any platform were like a Resident Evil or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, everyone has their own nostalgia goggles and they remember it all differently or whatever way. But I'm pretty sure objectively on paper, every console generation, a horror game was not the, the number one selling game. Yeah. Not the one in like the hive mind of the greater like gaming uh, media. Yeah, for sure. And even with survival horror, it's like, you know, you got on the sixth gen, you really had only the two big hits. You had Silent Hill 2 at the start and you had Resident Evil 4 at the end. Um, Yeah, so it is kind of strange. I think, though, it's just that, like, the narrative is cleaner on the sixth gen, where it's like you go from these kind of hyped up versions of gen one survival horror games you know stuff like fail the fail frame series and the sound hill games and then it kind of has this end point with resident evil 4 which is where it's like okay we're transitioning to more action-based more like first person inspired you know horror action games um but then if you look at the seventh gen it's like it comes out the gate and you have a bunch of those games. So it does look like, oh, like Resident Evil 4 1, we have, you know, Gears of War and we have all these like action games. Um, but then when you look at it, it's actually more kind of confusing and messy because you do have Amnesia, which comes out in 2010 and kind of like changes the world <laughs> of horror games. Like, because there's suddenly this yeah. like whole other like style of of game that you can do and like be a horror game and you don't have to have um, combat in your game. Like, I don't know. It was just like a, a real like big moment for horror games. Yeah. I mean, that's horror games now is, is that that started the modern horror game. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's a hugely, hugely important game, but then also between 2010 and 2013, a bunch of crazy shit starts happening that once again creates the environment and the atmosphere that we live in now. A big one being like the rise of the indie scene, you know? Oh yeah, that was going to be my, probably my biggest argument for uh, why this generation is like critical to just games in general mm-hmm. is that the the Xbox Live Arcade completely spearheaded the like the concept of the concept of an indie game to uh like a mass audience right because without that you would not have i mean we wouldn't we wouldn't have talked about hyper light drifter like that wouldn't have happened like it is because of that that service or not service but that 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 part of the xbox that like indies quote unquote became so popular and i mean like i i think i said before those games now feel like single A, maybe double A games because, you know, true indies are weird Game Boy Color inspired horror games on itch.io. Right. Um, but, you know, I'm not trying to like start a, a class divide or something amongst <laughs> indie games or anything. But yeah, like it's 
because of that generation that we have the popularity of smaller dev teams making games that kind of break out into the world. Yeah, for sure. It's just that I think that like for me at that time, I was really interested in that stuff and I played some of those games, but I didn't really like the the service aspect of it on consoles. Like for Xbox, I don't know, just like the UI or having to pay for the internet account or whatever, it was just always like really annoying. Yeah. We had a lot of cool like indie titles on it and I had a bunch on there, but once again, horrible interface, really hard to find like what you were looking for on there. And then like the pricing was just all over the place. So you might get some awesome game for $2. You might get some really shitty game for $10. Like you had no clue. And so I think it was maybe a little bit like daunting in that regard. And we just have so many better platforms now, like steam is better, you know, and like itch.io is better. And even just if people want to sell shit independently, like it's just easier to make a website and just fucking sell copies of your game now, you know? And, but yeah, that all comes from this era. Cause like braid is in 2008 and braid was like a big deal, uh, as like an Xbox live arcade game. You know, around that time, you also have like Super Meat Boy and, you know, the stuff that's like in the indie game, the movie, you know, and yeah, like that's all seventh gen as fuck. Actually, it just doesn't feel like it because in in my mind, at least seventh gen is like, you know, whatever uh, army of two or whatever. Okay, look, you know what? You're going to make me you're going to make me do this. I had so much fucking fun playing those games with my friends. Oh yeah, like the way we talk about um, like RE5 and RE6, like I don't think you can do better for like a stupid video game that's extremely fun when you have someone to play it with than Army of Two. Yeah, like absolutely insane, and we system linked for that. Oh, like we did some Xbox Live stuff, but like it was a big like, hey, come stay over my house bring your TV and your Xbox and we'll play this fucking game yeah. for six hours. Yeah. Tons, no, tons of fun. So how dare you slander <laughs> the name of army of two? I know. I'm just, you know, like from, from the sort of aesthetic standpoint, it's like you think about that, but you don't think about like the cool little indie platformer, uh, braid, not the, uh, seminal modern emo band braid. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean, the flip side or the bad flip side of that whole thing is that that was the start of kind of the question of like what happens to a game that you buy, mm -hmm. like who owns what, because especially with the the Wii, because I want to say you can probably still download a lot of that stuff on the Xbox because they've been pretty good about like your like my old my original Xbox Live account still exists. It's still persistent. Sure. But like the Wii obviously shut down. Mm -hmm. and you know and if you don't have if you don't have those games installed on your wii or a wii or whatever you'll never you can't get them anymore yeah and if and if you're lucky they'll sell them to you again on another platform and if you're not you just never see it ever again yeah it goes away forever yeah and so that's definitely that's definitely a, a you know a dark spot in the the history of the seventh gen and, and gaming in general is, is what the, the internet did yeah. to a lot of, a lot of things in the, in the medium. Yeah. 
But also at the same time, I mean, we wouldn't even have the marketplace we have now if it wasn't for those, you know, services taking a mm-hmm. chance on like, will people buy digital only games? And I'm probably in the minority of people who are like part of this gaming world or whatever when I'm just like, I don't want to own physical things uh, because I already own too many physical things. And like, I like currently at this moment, I am surrounded by a fucking halo of like crazy audio gear. Like, no, I don't want a shelf full of discs. That sounds awful. Here's my thing with that, because I agree with you. The difference between owning a halo of audio equipment is that you can use that stuff. Yeah. And as long as it functions or as long as you're capable of repairing it, it can be used to create something. Yeah. It can be used to just engage in a hobby. Buying physical video games is not, it's fucking worthless. Yeah. (laughs) Except for the part where you think it's worth money or maybe it is worth money, but you're just hoarding like weird landfill trash. That's going to (laughs) like, depending on what it's made out of, it's just going to explode one day. Yeah. (laughs) Or it's going to like Brent sent me all these crazy Funko pop collections. And I'm like, wow, like this, this will get dumped in the ocean when this psycho dies and a bunch of whales will eat it and they'll die and then they'll go extinct just so losers can buy plastic and everyone can talk about how it's okay and how there's nothing wrong with collecting things even though there's (laughs) definitely a conversation to be had about maybe why collecting things is bad but yeah like digital like I love digital ownership I love being able to go to Bandcamp and give someone $10 for a digital album that beyond the cost of recording they don't have to spend money on they can just sell that to me I can have it I can download it, I can have it in a cloud, I can make redundancies, I can have it forever. And they get they get all that money. There's no loss of creating a physical version that they'll then sell for that same price. Like yeah. I, I don't need, I love having that stuff because I'm still kind of a nerd and I do like to have things. Yeah. You know, I don't need it and I, I've enjoyed moving away from that. And I like, I like just having all the stuff like at my fingertips whenever I need it instead of having to pull it out of a box or worry about whether or not it's going to go up in a fire or you know whatever else yeah well and it's also just like with video games it's so tied into technology that shit obsoletes itself so fast so like even if you save all of your consoles and everything like good yeah. luck having something to plug it into that it like doesn't God. look or play like shit like mm-hmm. I used to, I mean I still have I got rid of a lot of my video game stuff years ago, and I got rid of a lot of the high dollar stuff again, maybe like three or four years ago, like when I moved. Uh, but like, it's still like I would still drag around this box of like my N64 and like my Genesis, and my NES stuff. And at some point, I just left it at my sister's house because it's like I don't have anything to fucking plug this into. Like, it always just looks like shit, or it has a crazy delay, and it's like unplayable, and it's just like. It's just so frustrating and it's just always comes back to like I wish I could just have this on my switch for a reasonable price and I just want to play it but yeah I feel like sometimes with the like you know people who are collectors I have a lot of friends who are collectors and so I don't want to just shit on that like too hard personally but like I do feel like if that's your thing that's your thing but I do feel like there's this weird like worrying expansion of like collecting as a hobby where it's like everyone should just collect everything and so like 
you see people yeah. who just have shells where it's like, I just collect everything. And it's like, I, I cannot do that personally. Um, it's, I have enough stuff. I have more than enough stuff. I have too much stuff. And like, I'm always just like getting rid of things. And it would just be really like psychologically damaging to me to have like another collection of things. <laughs> like even just my collection of my own music or albums that I've worked on is like, makes me nervous if I look at it. Cause it's just like too much crap, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. And I don't know. It's crazy. Cause it's also like, there's a frustrating aspect. This happens when, you know, I mean, this happens in the discord once every couple months, but like when you see that some fucking company is like, Oh, we repress the, blinks the time sweeper soundtrack on vinyl and you're just like yeah. dude my band is putting in a record to be pressed you are literally delaying us like this is the reason why it takes three months when it used to take like three weeks mm -hmm. i mean pe people just you, the thing is like it's important to ask yourself if a thing sparks joy but you, once you've asked yourself that question and if the answer is yes you need to ask yourself, but why? <laughs> but why though? And and is that but why valid? Like, yeah. do you need it? Or is there a thing you haven't grappled with in your psyche that has manifested itself as you need to buy 60 different 4XLP video game soundtracks? Yeah. For games that don't even have good soundtracks. Yeah. Like there's only a handful of like games that I like the soundtracks of which I like to listen to. And, yeah. You know, and half of those, if they got vinyl pressings, it's a $50 vinyl pressing yeah. that sells out in a day because those people just get them and they're like, Oh, I don't even listen to it. It's just on my shelf or, Oh, it's in my closet. Actually. I just like to have it. And like, why do you like to have it? Go to therapy. <laughs> Dude. I wish I, man, I fucking wish I would have kept that link. Cause I found I found the company that was like the the mother load of that because it was just all bad games with bad soundtracks, super mm -hmm. ugly packaging. Like it was just everything was absolutely hideous. And then the reviews, they had like testimonials on their website, uh, which is kind of a red flag for me a lot of times. But uh, the testimonials were all like, this looks great on my wall. And it was like. Oh, you said I remember you sent me that. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was just like, OK, this this company is the problem. <laughs> this is like the thing yeah, it's, right here. It's funco.pop is yeah. the problem. Yeah, and you know, I think the real risk we run here is that in the future, we're going to have a real life, the Joker and his origin story is going to be that he walked by um, a landfill while they were boiling Funko pops and vinyl pressings <laughs> of blinks, the time sweeper. And he fell into it and emerged as the Joker. <laughs> Yeah, he t he ate too many like polychloride particles or whatever the fuck. Yeah, exactly. Became a maniac. Yeah, just remember your impact in the world, everybody. When you buy more plastic junk, I also just googled it to make sure. And this game is actually called Blinks the Time Sweeper and stars <laughs> an utterly horrifying cat that I think you would have to have a couple <laughs> pieces of yourself missing to find cute. Well, okay, here's the thing I'd be interested to ask you about, too, in terms of the seventh gen. Is, like, where do you rate some of these big horror games in the seventh mm. gen? Like, because so, there are these, like, first-person, maybe more FPS-style, uh, like, horror games that people seem to really like. I'm curious what you think. 
So I googled seventh gen horror games just to like you know jog my brain here. Let me uh, let me read you this list of five forgotten classic horror games of the seventh generation from DreadCentral.com. Okay, okay. Number one, Operation Darkness. What the fuck is Operation Darkness? (laughs) (laughs) What is this? This is like a bad, like weird JRPG or something that like is masquerading as a a weird Atlas like RPG. It looks like D2 or something. That's stupid. Yeah. That's that's not a horror game. Yakuza Dead Souls. I know you love that. Oh, yeah. Famed Yakuza fan, Ali Jafar. Dead Space Extraction for the Wii, which was the <laughs> which is the rail shooter. <laughs> nope. Warhammer 40k Space Marine is no. listed as a, a horror game. Who works at Dread Central? I mean, I thought that that Space Marine game was really fun, but it ain't a horror game. And yeah. number five is another Resident, rail shooter. Resident Evil Dead Aim. For the PS2? What? (laughs) Like, that's how bad this list is, is they put a rail shooter Resident Evil game that was from the sixth generation. Yeah. So I guess Um, it's it's a lot of people who think that there were no horror games for the mm -hmm. seventh gen consoles, which is not true. I mean, there were a bunch. So I want to talk about a, a few of the big ones, though. You know, sure, sure. some of them I've played and some of them I haven't. So I'm thinking maybe you have played, but you know, a lot of them we've talked about on the show or like, we like Delhi premonition is a big one, yeah. you know, and, and like there are silent Hill games in this era that will be discussed eventually, but like uh, the condemned games are ones I've never played. And when I Googled them, it basically said it was a first person horror game about killing homeless people. <laughs> so that didn't sound too good to me. I, I forgot about that particular angle. I think if essentially what it is is there's a drug epidemic and a serial killer that might be tied to it somehow. Yeah. And so a lot of there's a there's like a large homeless population, but this drug is literally driven them like insane, insane. So they're trying to like kill you. Sure. Like they attack you. They're basically they're just like zombie proxies effectively. Yeah. Cause the whole thing with the game is you're using like fairly improvised weapons. Yeah. So you're, 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 you're trying to, det- you're a detective, you're trying to detect, but you're also getting, you know, attacked by people that are, that, that have gone mad because of this, this, this drug outbreak or whatever. Yeah, sure. So uh, to that, I can't, cause I played that game around when it came out. Yeah. And that was, 2005 what damn okay oh that was like a launch launchy mm, that was, yeah that's an oldie yeah um, kind of launchy title so yeah i you know i remember enjoying it a lot i remember not enjoying the second one quite as much okay so fear we kind of already talked about um silent hill we're going to talk about in the future episode so i'm going to skip yeah. over that and i'm going to see no i want to i'm going to do something special here for you <laughs> i want to open up a little space for you to get off you know why you like a couple of games that i have shitted on <laughs> quite a bit so tell uh, me here tell we go me everybody about, tell me about alan wake i just think that like alan wake's fine it's it was a meme i was just memeing it up i every everyone should know that by now I but you do like just, that game 
It was it was fine. I had fun playing it. Like it was a goofy it it like I know like the obvious parallel was like Stephen King, quote unquote, even though I, I probably a lot of people are going to tell you that any Stephen King book is better than what happens in that game. Sure. Um, he got a lot of stinkers, though. So. But when I when I say Stephen King specifically in this case, I mean like sci-fi channel TV movie adaptations of Stephen King. Sure. Like extremely just goofy, schlocky bullshit. And I think we talked about it, and that's just the divide as I see it that way, and you just see it as hack writing. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. Which could be true. Maybe both are true. Who knows? But that's I mean, that's a lot of fun. That's a lot of the fun to me with mm-hmm. like really goofy shit like that is like it is poorly written. Yeah. And that's why it's so goofy and stupid and fun. It's like you just like you turn your brain off and you and you play it. Yeah. And you know, it's just I thought it like maxed out, it still actually looks pretty good. Yeah, that's like true. It it may not have like the most diverse aesthetic or like color palette or whatever, but like it is at least I like, a really visually well made game. Yeah. And like I kind of like the setting. I like the Pacific Northwesty, windy setting, and how dark it always is, and and all that fun stuff. It was just an entertaining nonsense ride. Yeah, and I think I I think when I played through it, I like streamed it to like a friend or two along the way, and all that stuff, and just kind of had a had a time playing it. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I would be interested in them coming back. I, I guess they did sort of revisit part of it with, like, that Control DLC, but it's, like, that That team's obviously grown a lot since then, mm-hmm. and it would be interesting to see what they would do with, like, maybe not a sequel, but, like, a... Or at least not a sequel in the, like, in, like, a, like a plot sense, like, not a direct story sequel, but just, like, another game in that franchise. Sure. Yeah, I think the reason I had such a negative reaction, too, is because it's so close to stuff that I really like. Um, You know, in terms of gameplay, it's kind of like Max Payne, which I used to really like on the PS2. Uh, And in terms of story, it's a lot like At the Mouth of Madness, which is a movie I love. Um, That's a great movie. Uh, You know, Sam Neill, starring Sam Neill. You gotta love it. Uh, And... I don't know. It's just like, I wish it was more like that stuff or I wish it was just more fun like that stuff. Cause at the mouth of madness is not a serious movie at all. Like it's really not meant to be taken seriously. It's just really goofy and crazy and over the top, but it's still very much like a horror movie, you know? Um, it's almost like a, like a, like early modern style horror comedy or something. It's like so wacky. But yeah, I, I love that. I wish I had more of that vibe. And then in terms of the gameplay, like I think after playing Control, it was just like, oh yeah, like they figured out how to do this game. But Alan Wake was just like too repetitive and at times too frustrating yeah. to me. Which I mean, Control even I also didn't finish because I think their style of combat just like frustrates me. But it is a much better game, and so I think that was my problem with it. Was like going going back to that game this late in the game and then having these expectations based on like other things that it's like oh yeah this is just like hard this is hard for me to deal with I can't deal 
And that was also back when we were forcing ourselves to finish the games, which I 200% should not have done because that's why I was so <laughs> that's why I was so pissed off because like I got halfway through and then I, I was literally like, I want to stop playing. And, you know, then I was told that I had to keep playing because I owed it to the audience, um, which is <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> but I, mean, uh, I have things to say about that. But I mean, I I've kind of already said everything that I need to say about it. But it's just like, yeah, I just got really angry because of that. And the deeper I went into the game, the more I was just like, I don't like this. I don't know why I'm still playing this. But well, yeah, at some point, you your perspective shifts and you're no longer looking at it. Like from an objective standpoint, you're looking at it from the perspective of someone who is now angry and hates it. Yeah. So you're just kind of like it's just a downward spiral. Yeah. It's the downward spiral. It's the downward spiral. Yes, of course. Of Have course. y'all heard of the downward spiral? <laughs> it is. This is it. That was it. Y'all, do y'all even spiral downward? Uh, okay, another game. I'm curious to hear why why you love it Say so it. much. Dead Space. Say it. Dead Space. <laughs> why do you love this game? Yeah, so we we like we had this out though, but that was that was in general chat like a year and a half ago or something. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's something to talk about now. Yeah, um, they don't know. I just really like that whole thing. Like, there's a lo- I think there's a lot wrapped up in it too. Um, I guess just to get it out of the way, I think part of it might be the comic tie-in series, which was done by Ben Templesmith, who did. 30 days of night oh that's so cool. like the like the writing the art all that it's like it's like if you read 30 days of night you could just go read those and you would like love them too because it's basically just kind of the same thing but instead of the general premise of that story it's all the shit with the marker and you know all that crap oh that's cool i like 30 days of night yeah so that kind of feeds into it a little bit because like his art style really meshed well with some of their ideas Sure. For like creature design and like settings and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that definitely that definitely feeds into my perception of that game slash franchise. Okay. Okay. Um and it's got like it has so much that's cribbed from Event Horizon that like just from the jump I had to like from the jump I had to be into it because it was basically Resident Evil 4 Event Horizon. Is sure. sort of sort of how it was directly or indirectly built. I want to say that someone on that dev team actually specifically quoted that movie or like as like an influence for them. Yeah, for sure. Um, like, th- I feel like it's an aesthetic that doesn't get used a whole lot. Like the really gritty, heavy industrial vision of the future. Like mm-hmm. you still have like faster than light travel and all this crazy shit, but it's like a lot of like the perspective you're seeing it from is like a gross, like, blue collar almost just earthy version of it yeah which didn't happen a lot like the closest thing i could think of prior to that was like alien 3 yeah and maybe certain parts alien 1 but they they were more focused on like the retro futurism of alien 1 and like 3 was way more in that like gross mechanical practical sort of vision of the of the sci-fi future yeah it's like the 90s grunge version of sci-fi it's like yeah if your sci-fi future was soundtracked by the screaming trees i don't know what that is but i'll i'll take your word for it all the sound clip just played so it's fine (laughs) 
I'll, that'll be something for me to look up later and then two months be like, this has changed my life. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that will happen. Screaming trees are well, fine. We'll see. We'll see. You never know. We'll see. Um, yeah. I don't guarantee that. Like I do with some of the other stuff I've sent you where I'm like, this will change your life. Um, <laughs> yeah. that gar- no, that's that, that game's like largely an aesthetic thing. I think for the most part, yeah like i i love so much of the 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 aesthetic in that and i could but i could see where it it would drag for someone like if you're not wholly invested in what that game's doing halfway through you're just gonna you're gonna tap out um yeah i never really did i liked it and when i played that game at launch it actually like it was one of the only games where the whole like the fear of ammo scarcity which kind of isn't a thing if you're playing on like an easier difficulty or if you're actually good at the game mm-hmm. like there really isn't much of an ammo scarcity um but when you're not great at that game and you're playing it on like medium difficulty you can run into that um or if you kind of like paint yourself into a corner with what weapons you choose to unlock and upgrade and all that stuff yeah like that game sure. that game actually scared me to some degree because mm-hmm. that was that was like an early game that I got to play in like full surround sound. Yeah. And that game utilizes that stuff fairly well. So there's like there's a lot of audio stuff and a lot of the like stress that survival horror games try to impart upon you with um, like mobs of enemies or or sound cues or the ammo scarcity or, you know, whatever, like all that stuff that that actually happened to me in that game. And some yeah. years later, that stuff just stopped happening to me. It doesn't it doesn't do anything for me anymore, but yeah well i think this is an important thing to talk about too because like everything that you're saying are all of my reasons why i like resident evil 4 and why i like evil within and i feel like playing those games kind of out of order doomed me to not like dead space because like at the end of the seventh gen we got a couple of games that to me are really important for like where horror games go after that one of them is Evil Within, and the other one is The Last of Us. And I played both of those games before I played Dead Space. Mm, and sure. I think The Evil Within and The Last of Us are both very different games, despite having very similar and clunky titles. Um, but I think that a big similarity between the two of them, beyond that, is that they do take that ammo scarcity combat stress thing from survival horror and they really really like radically recontextualize it so suddenly you're playing this game that's like this very scripted cinematic action game that also has these really heavy survival horror elements in it but is also fun to play and feels good i know that's maybe a hot take for some people regarding the evil within but i think everybody agrees on that for the last of us you know yeah. um and so then when i went back to dead space i can totally see now that you've said it that way that it could be that kind of game for you but i think that if you play those games out of order and you go back to dead space it's just like yuck sure. you know like nothing in that game is as good as like the last of us but it's kind of on the same mission vaguely if that's what you like mm-hmm. about the game you know i think i'm really unlocking this in real time i think that's why i hated that game so much but also like yeah another thing that came up the other day that i think is worth mentioning is that like 
I am like a genetic freak who trained myself to be really good at the evil within and also like absolutely love it and like can play it on the hard difficulty and like so like Cole did that too. So it really does like change how you look at these kind of games after that. So a thing that keeps coming up with the evil within is that everyone talks about how like stressful it is or difficult it is or how they have to play it on like the easiest difficulty to stand the remote chance of getting through it. I just played it on the normal difficulty and I, I didn't have a problem and I'm not trying to like big dick anybody, but <laughs> I, I, I thought it was fine. Like I, I didn't have any of those problems and people, people use that as like a, like a criticism of the game. Yeah. And I just never had it. Like I, I just play it and it's, fine i don't love certain aspects of of it but yeah i think it's a a good game i don't think it's like worse than dead space or something like i'm not like yeah putting them in like a ranking list or anything um yeah i mean i think that game's perfectly playable uh i don't know what everyone what the what difficulty everyone seems to have with it is but yeah i mean i think there is a specific play style that really makes the game like way 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 easier and it's not the style of play that you would have learned in resident evil 4 it's something like totally different you know um and so i think that if you're me for example and i think a lot of people were like me they approached the game saw it and said hey it looks like resident evil 4 let me play it like resident evil 4 gigantic mistake like yeah absolutely not how you play that game i think the play style is actually a lot more like the last of us but so they came around at the same time and they actually have a similar like optimal play style but i think that the last of us is much better at communicating to the player that this is how Mm -hmm. you're supposed to play the game whereas like the evil within doesn't and it is also just a much harder game like the last of us is a pretty easy game uh I think, and Evil Within is just by default like a much, much harder game. But it, yeah, it's like I talked about it all, all fucking day in that episode. The episode is like super long. Like I don't need to go through all this again. But you know, there's an optimal playstyle that makes that game really, really fun and makes it a lot easier. And I think once you get into it, it's like once again, if you like that style of game, it's like one of the best games ever. Like it's absolutely one of my favorite games. But I think that kind of learning that and, and doing things in that way, it makes it makes going back to certain games really difficult. So like Dead Space and Resident Evil 5, like I had so many problems with, you know, and even just like Resident Evil 5 going to is like, God, why isn't there a crouch button? Why can't I stealth at all? Like, what is going on here? You know, and it's just like you get used to those luxuries from mm-hmm. other games and then you go yeah. back and you're like, fuck. And I think that's a big like hallmark of returning to the seventh gen you know yeah that's a the whole the the introduction of it like a a a universal standard control scheme creates those problems when you run into like a yeah like a mediocre game is you wonder why you can't do the things you can do in pretty much any game yeah totally so like for better or worse that's just there and that's just part of it but that's just part of things now like Mm -hmm. we've just hit a point where that's how things are like you play a game you start smashing buttons and you're trying to go down your checklist of what can i do what can i do and then you start making like value judgments based upon yeah what's there and what isn't there yeah 
Exactly. And it's just like certain games, like Evil Within just hits that mark almost like just barely, <laughs> where it's like yeah. just barely a, a well-designed game. And then it has so many other quirks and cool things about it that people like me get obsessed with it. Uh, whereas like there are other games that just don't hit that mark, but because we didn't know there was something better at that time, like it would have been a really cool and an impressive game. And yeah, having two people like that talk about a game like that on a podcast is just like brutal. So I don't know why I wasn't getting death threats from from that, but I get <laughs> I get saucy emails now over nothing. It's crazy. Y'all are crazy. I do love that one of your favorite games is a seventh generation game. I know, right? Isn't that wild? Mr. Seventh Gen Hater actually fucking <laughs> actually fucking loves it um we'll see now there is one game too I, I do need to talk about and this could be a much longer conversation and maybe it will be in another episode but i do just kind of want to get the like quick the quick take on this because for me this is the game where i was like maybe i just don't like video games at all anymore um and that's bioshock how do you feel about bioshock all right so you're gonna hate this I pre-ordered Bioshock. I pre-ordered the fancy edition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved that game when I played it. I played it at launch. I beat it. All that stuff. But th- And there's a thing that I need to go ahead and, and put out there for everybody. If you haven't already figured out, I played a lot of regular normie games. Sure. Um, in my years. I played a lot of weird shit, too, but I... I was also very interested in like your Call of Duties and your Splinter Cells and yeah, yeah. and all that junk. But I'm also like an idiot, sure, and I don't read, <laughs> and so like like I, I I've I've learned a lot of things just through osmosis and just aging. Mm-hmm. So when I was uh, it was probably 19 when that game came out, maybe 20. Um, yeah. I didn't know who the fuck Ayn Rand was. I didn't know. I barely knew what communism was. Yeah. I didn't know what anything was. So I just played this game and I'm just like, oh, cool art deco. Like, it's literally the meme of the of the thing going over the person's head. And they're like, wow, cool, whatever. Yeah. Like, that was me with that game. Like, it just like, yeah. I like the aesthetic. It was a shooter game where you had powers, all that yeah. fun shit. The twist was what a twist type shit like yeah like i had fun with it at the time um i didn't really play the second one and i also bought the special version of bioshock infinite uh-huh. um though you'll be happy to know that i sold the whole like all the collector's edition junk that came with it for pretty much cost oh nice so you know i kind of I, I broke even on that whole thing at least Hell yeah. Um, Love to break even. But that's the game that like after, you know, I play, I, you know, I beat it. Didn't think anything of it. And then like a couple of years later, I was presented with the concept that like there were a number of things in that game that were very not good. <laughs> yeah. From like a morality, social awareness standpoint. Uh-huh. Um, so then I had to start like unpacking everything. Yeah. As someone who is expected to grow because I'm a person in the world. You have to grow. Yeah. Um, so in hindsight, Bioshock, not great. At the <laughs> time, loved it. Loved 
I, you know, I like a lot of things. Like, I think that like the like a horror art deco thing is always a, like a great aesthetic choice. I think the general like setting of like an underwater place that's ruined in that way was cool. But yeah, you know, like that dude's a hack. Yeah, it's so like you know, you know, like I'm not, I'm never gonna defend those games. Like there were there were parts of them that I thought were cool, and that's like pretty much the end of it. Yeah. So my problem with Bioshock, let me tell you my context here, right? Is that when I was in high school, I didn't know who Ayn Rand was either. But right at the same time, um, one of my creepy English teachers, everyone thought he was creepy. Turns out he was a pedophile. We found out Mm. years (laughs) later. Um, So fuck that guy. Hopefully he's dead. Um and that guy presented us with this thing where he's like, hey, there's this uh, essay writing um, contest. Anyone can choose to enter. It's, you know, it's not part of the class. It's like an extra thing you can do. I'll give you some extra credit for it. But it's basically just if you want to win this scholarship. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, I want a scholarship. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's like, OK, just come talk to him. He'll tell you about it. It's great. So you go and it's like, OK, so basically what you have to do is you have to read this book and then write an essay on it. The book is The Fountainhead. And I was like, or maybe that's an essay. I can't remember. Whatever. It's it's the Fountainhead. And I was like, okay, I don't know what the fuck this is. And I start reading it, and I'm just like, wow, this is fucking bullshit. Like, what the fuck is this? And I read the whole book, and basically by the time I was finished, I didn't even write the essay. I was like too pissed off, and I went back to my teacher. I was like, why did you give us copies of this book? Like, this is fucking garbage. And then I started reading Anne Rand or reading about Anne Rand, and I was like, this is the worst thing that has like ever like been put to page and also around that same time i met someone another student at the high school who was like legitimately like a a rand head or whatever the fuck they call themselves a randy boy (laughs) rand pill yeah a randy boy and like he would try and defend the whole like prosperity gospel only the wealthy matter kind of shit that like she was spewing in her garbage books that also like really fetishize sexual assault and are just like extremely poorly written and offensive on multiple levels and i was just like really 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 appalled and the other point of context for bioshock is that i love system shock 2 i played system shock 2 when i was a kid and like replayed it many times like over the years like i love that game so when bioshock was announced i was like oh cool it's like system shock 3 but it's like underwater this looks cool as fuck dude get the game and like you said yes the setting is very cool the the like you know graphics and sound atmosphere everything great but i started playing the game and then there's two big problems with it you know which i said in a previous episode someone dinged me and i basically had to issue a retraction i would like to now officially uh retract (laughs) my retraction because fuck that fucking guy and also uh i don't i don't know i think what i said was fine i basically i think there was maybe some free association based on my past where i compared randy boys or whatever the people who like Anne rand are called to pedophiles and i fully stand by that fuck those people right but the point here is that i love system shock and i hate Anne rand so when i played bioshock it was like okay they're trying to play with these themes and these like heavy politics that are real and once again when you enter like a game a video game space or like a nerd media space you have a higher percentage chance of encountering these people and like i think the people who made this game know that you know that like you're gonna count those people so it felt like it was kind of speaking to them and it was playing with those themes and it did it in a way that was really boneheaded 
and stupid and uncritical. And if you tried to talk about that, the people who like this game, like that dude I mentioned earlier did, they come at you really hard with the, well, their society fell apart and you can see that it's a critique of, of I think it's called objectivism, right? The, the Ayn Rand philosophy. Also, I want to go ahead and say that I think a good, because my, my brain went to like, um, Rand heads uh-huh. is like a name for the people, but then I immediately went like, oh, fountainheads. Fountainheads. Yeah, so it is called objectivism, but we should definitely call them fountainheads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also, are you? I, I think you're sleeping on Randy boys because they're all boys and they're all Randy. <laughs> we'll workshop it. Anyway, um, the people who come at you hard when you criticize this game say, well, their society fell apart. It's clearly a critique of objectivism, but it's not clearly a critique. It has literally nothing to say. It likes to use the imagery and the concepts and ideas, but it just plays dress up with them. And I felt that to be extremely insulting, if not like kind of fucked up, you know? The other problem is that the game is kind of another very repetitive corridor shooter that gets very boring by the end of the game, in my opinion. Yeah, it's like a 25-hour long first-person shooter, too, so it drags on. It's just kind of a shitty game. And then with Infinite, I think they caught flat because they tried to do the same thing with, like, playing dress-up with serious themes, except they were doing it with, like, racism. (laughs) And I was like... They were doing it with racism, and then they made the, like, well, actually, all races are bad fucking argument. Yeah. (laughs) Um, no, I'm pretty sure that Ken Levine has like already just been like, oh, I just like Ayn Rand's books. I like blah, 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 blah. I put it in the game because I was so influenced by her work. Yeah. I don't think that he was like, oh, I read all of her books and hated what she said. So I wanted to like make games that like jab at her. I, yeah. I'm not going to go rewatch four Ken Levine interviews from 2007 or whatever, Uh but I'm fairly certain that his whole thing is he liked those books. Yeah, no, totally. And it's like, you can adopt something as an aesthetic and not like be like super worshipful of it, but still like it. And I think that's what's happening with Ayn Rand in those games. It's like, if you think objectivism is bullshit, if you really can't fucking stand that one guy at your job who is like a... Um, what are they called? The the people who are like third party guys and they're consultants? Really, no, no, the uh, the political party. They're basically the Ayn libertarians. Rand. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot what they were called because I hate them so much. If uh, you can't stand libertarians, yeah. <laughs> if you can't stand the guy at your job <laughs> that is a libertarian, like you shouldn't support Ayn Rand. You shouldn't like be down with this game. And that's the thing is libertarians are like the most annoying people in the world. Cause they won't even just like take like a stance on things. They're just like, they're shitty people who try and disguise their politics behind like, you know, double speak and half measures somehow worse than someone who's just like, I'm a piece of shit. At least like I can tell, you know, it's like, Oh, you're just a piece of shit. Great. At least they committed to something instead of being noncommittal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, uh, yeah, Bioshock was was rough stuff for me. And I thought it was so boneheaded that I was like, if video games are just going to be this stupid and also take themselves this seriously and be this unfun, then, like, I'm not down. And that's, like, Evil Within is, the fr- the, for me, like, the perfect counterpoint to that because it's just, like, fucking who care, man? Shoot zombie. You wear a vest. Have lantern. Fuck it, dog. 
Like I also didn't get crazy horror vibes from Bioshock. I think that normies got a hold of it and they thought that because there was like body mutilation and jump scares occasionally that it was like a horror game. Yeah, I mean But I don't I don't like I think that I don't like a, a horror game is not to scare you, but if it's not going to if that's not like the objective of it, then like there has to be something a little more like intentional in the overall like aesthetic and atmosphere to the game. Yeah. And that game just well that game didn't do that. It literally just it threw a couple jump scares at you and had some weird like we chop people up stuff here and there. Yeah. Like it had one area that leaned into that stuff a little more and that somehow got it labeled as a sort of horror game. Well, that was the other thing that's so frustrating about that game. I talked about this in the Prey episode, because Prey, another one of my favorite games, like, absolutely great game. Everyone should play Prey. Uh, It was frustrating because it got labeled as a horror game, and it got labeled as an immersive sim. And I don't think it's really either of those things, but I think one of the reasons that the whole, like, you know, is something horror, is something this genre, is something conversation is kind of pointless is that you can talk all day but if enough people say it is then it kind of is considered that way so it's important to at least talk about it in that way and it's like yeah like you're saying a lot of people think Bioshock is a horror game a lot of people think Bioshock is an immersive sim so to me it was just a whole lot of sadness it wasn't like they took my thing away it was just like no please don't make more of these (laughs) like (laughs) no I want System Shock 3 I don't want whatever the fuck this is well someone else is supposed to be making System Shock 3 so we're supposed to be getting a remake of System Shock and a System Shock 3 we're supposed to be getting a whole bunch of System Shock it's tied up in like weird ownership litigation I think I think that like the game I think that the work's been done to, yeah. to a large extent, but I think it's tied up in like who owns what has been the issue from what from what I remember. Yeah, it's in development hell, unfortunately, which is also, it seems like uh, even worse for uh, Vampire the Masquerade sequel that's supposed to come out. Like, mm-hmm. uh, that yeah, is, like, they canceled it. People. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's basically, so like, just dead, which, which is sad. I would have loved to see those games mm-hmm. get a little bit more time in the sun because uh, it's all it's a bunch of cool shit, you know? Another exciting thing to share, I found a Reddit post titled The Seventh Generation Was the Worst. Oh, okay. The user has since deleted their account. Okay. Um, this thread has no upvotes. <laughs> okay. But it has some replies, so I think maybe it's just like a... It was a I think it just ended up at a clean zero. Yeah. Um... The first bolded sentence is, this brings me to issue number one with the seventh gen, the severe lack of Japanese games. (laughs) And that's how I know this person's an absolute psycho. (laughs) Yeah, you love to find those posts on Reddit. Because I I can tell you all about some Japanese seventh gen games if you all want me to. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, like earlier when I kind of referenced that, I wasn't saying there weren't any, but it was just like, the the type of games you're getting and the the vibe there's like a there's a weird association that happens in my head between the capcom 5 and like a lot of games that came out of japan in the seventh gen for some reason i don't i don't know why yeah but i think maybe it's just like kind of like the 
the range of like genres and vibes that came out of the whole Capcom 5 thing or Capcom yeah. 4 however many of those <laughs> games even really came out um, yeah I feel like that like sort of applied to to some of those the seventh gen games yeah because I, I think that Japan does a lot of interesting stuff with pre-existing material like especially music like they like Japanese pop music has so much more like depth to it yeah that it's you can listen to like the, like pop music in Japan can literally cover any genre yeah they may they can make any of it work yeah and there's like there's just like less pretense with like they're they're less focused on pretense they're less worried about like what a, a group of people will have to say about yeah. how they do something and I think that that results in a lot more creative freedom and like cool ideas yeah for sure well it's also like uh if you ever dive into the world of like japanese 90s influenced guitar rock like Mm -hmm. it's so fucking good and it's exactly what you're saying where it's like taking these genres that you know are sort of dead or at least associated with the past and kind of doing different things with them and trying different things and so yeah there's tons of great like emo shoegaze just kind of jangly 90s all rock bands from japan that are great um and just generally superior if you don't speak japanese because you can't hear the dumb lyrics like you can with all the english speaking bands so mm-hmm. yeah that's definitely a big <laughs> definitely a big plus for those genres of music um but yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree. Well, yeah, so I guess I guess the seventh gen had things going for it, I think, and I sort of feel bad for shit for how much I shitted on it. <laughs> it's all it's all complicated. Yeah. Every every generation is weird, and everything's sort of interconnected. But the problem is that the seventh gen was a springboard for like I would say all the best and worst things that gaming would become eventually. Yeah. Um, so you know depending on who you are you you focus on bad or good so and i think too it's like so much of that shit that would later get fleshed out is you know paired with some pretty foul stuff and you just sort of have to take it in stride uh if you're trying to enjoy it it was pretty wokeness i guess (laughs) so there was definitely a lot of like horse shit in that yeah, that era. I mean, uh, Spec Ops was a that was a seventh gen game, wasn't Spec it? Spec Ops was a seventh gen mm-hmm. game. Yeah, yeah. So, well, <laughs> man, I don't, I don't know. Honestly, time is such a fucking flat circle. Because when I was watching Suicide Squad, I can confirm that it was 2004. Like with all yeah. the casual racism and misogyny and the Joker, it was 2004. Okay, <laughs> I think that's enough. Oh, we could keep going. We didn't even talk about Siren Blood Curse. <laughs> hey, I like Siren Blood Curse. 